0: Hey everybody! Welcome to the Tech Connect podcast. I'm John Martin, and I'm Dean Reverman. Dean, we talk a lot about the the channel on yes. our show, and yes. I'm going to assume that most of the people who are listening know what that means. If I mean, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, unless hey, you're yeah, just yeah. brand new to this space and you don't learn understand to learn about it, mm-hmm. and you know, which like well, okay, they're changing I
1: get the channel. No, it's not. No, no, no it not. doesn't have anything to do with mm-hmm.
0: your TV. <laughs> it's not. But you know, and obviously, I'm hoping they understand the parts and the players and the roles that are within mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. my understanding is, I've only been in, in this company in this channel, if you will, for less, a little less than five years now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I admit I didn't understand a lot of it when I first came. Oh, in. sure. And I also understand that a lot has changed over, yes. The, you know, even just the last few years, mm-hmm. the you know, the last decade or two. Mm-hmm. You've had experience with that. I know you were on the reseller world for a while. Yep, yep. You've been with Blue Star for a while. Yep. Well, we're kind of going to get into a little bit of that today about what's changed, what's changing, and maybe get a little predictive. Oh, we're breaking out the crystal ball again—one of our favorite things to do. Okay, all right, make predictions that will come back and haunt us in a few years. (laughs) So today we've got Tracy Tucker with us from Citizen. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about how the channel's evolved in his time as well, what he's seen happen. Uh, We're going to talk about the role of software because that's a big, Big, changing part of this this channel right now. Yep. Getting the distribution. We'll talk a little bit about ourselves and how we fit into that. Okay. Uh, a little bit about the amazon effect that everyone's always concerned about mm. and then and then we'll do some of that 3 to 5 year forecasting and kind of figure out what's happening next what should we be thinking about and prepared for good
1: topic though right it's yeah, it's, it it's on everybody's mind what's the future hold I exactly we're going to talk
0: about today yeah don't again don't hold us to everything don't say <laughs> dean and john said that this is going to happen and that, therefore, we are changing our entire company.
1: Yeah. No. Well, I don't no. want
0: to be held responsible.
1: for No, that, I don't so want that responsibility. Just, just some nope. good advice. No, like Maybe
0: it. Tracy. Listen to what he says. Oh yeah, He's Tracy. We'll it put it, it all
1: on him. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh, all that plus our usual value of the var and what's tech connecting with us. It's time to plug in and get connected.
2: Welcome to the Tech Connect podcast. It's time to get connected.
0: All right. As I mentioned, our guest today, Tracy Tucker, is the senior director of channel sales for Citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Actually, I believe you told us earlier you're almost almost more of a supply chain guy at Citizen now. So, <laughs> explain more about your role, how it's changed, especially in this crazy new dynamic, which is a perfect reason why we have you on the show because you've experienced this change and give us a little bit of your background.
2: Hello, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was uh, just having a conversation a couple of days ago with somebody saying, you know, I have to do the supply chain part, you know, and the the ops and and all of that stuff. But my real joy is to be out with the people. I'm a man of the people, if nothing else. So uh, I like to be out in the channel, you know, talking with uh, strategically with people about solving business problems. You know, looking at spreadsheets and predicting arrival dates is not what I like to do for a living. But, as you said. You know, as you said, I'm a senior director of America's channel sales here at Citizen. So I have both North America and Latin America as well. And I've been at Citizen for, I'm in my 11th year, almost 11 years I've been at Citizen. And before that, you know, I, I started in the POS and barcode industry right out of college. The first job I had was with a manufacturer in 1988. And so I've seen a lot of change in that period of time. Uh, you know, I, I say that there's got to be another way to make a living, but I haven't figured out what it is. <laughs> Once you're in, you get kind of roped in, right? Yeah, it's like you know, it's like the Hotel California. You can check out, <laughs> but you can never leave. You know? <laughs> so. That's the channel right there. there that's, yeah, <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah, right. That is right. So I've seen a lot of change in 30, what, 34 years, you know, and I've been on, I've been on the uh, the bar side of things and the manufacturer side of things. So I've I've sold to distributors and bought from distributors. So I, that's how I got to know the channel from top to bottom. So anyway, here we are.
0: <laughs> no doubt. Well, then, okay, then let's talk about that experience, that 34 years you mentioned in the channel. What have you seen evolve during that time? Like what has been some of the big cataclysmic changes that have happened to get us where we are today?
2: Sure. Well, you know, it's in 1988 when I started, it was really before the distributors as we know them existed, right? And so the manufacturers were having to sell to small and medium sized bars. And the manufacturers didn't do a very good job of that. And so, you know, some of the distributors as we know them, including Blue Star, came into really uh, the, the form that they are now during that time because the, the manufacturers did a terrible job of being available to and having product for the small to medium sized bar. And so the channel was kind of born out of necessity, you know, and at least that's what I observed. And over time, you know, distributors were, it was very inside the box kind of thinking back then, right? So distributors were a warehouse and a bank that allowed me to get credit terms and product when I couldn't get the manufacturer's attention as I was a bar. And that has certainly evolved over time, especially with company a company like Bluestar. Uh the you know, the distributors have figured out that there is more to distribution than just being a bank in a warehouse. There is much more value to add, right? Absolutely
1: right. Yeah, we've kind of figured that one out as, <laughs> as a value added distributor, no doubt about it. But let's go back and, and talk a little bit about the evolution. You know, it, it, a lot of people talk about how our channel is when you look at the maturity curve right that we're it's a mature channel right mm-hmm. and so now you're starting to see a lot of those aspects come to fruition meaning consolidation and stuff like that but let's talk a little bit about some of the nuances maybe in, in that that's happening in the channel right now today and how it's evolved a little bit tracy you know one of the things that i'll bring on the table is that it seems like our world is really heavy on price exceptions uh deal registrations, price concessions you you, whatever acronym you want to put after it or or whatnot a lot of the deals in the channel today are being driven by that not so much the case you know early on right uh where where maybe wasn't wasn't just wasn't the case what are your thoughts on that and like some of the little nuances within the channel and how it's kind of evolving
2: sure i remember way back when when you know the uh, the var could command very high margin just by finding a deal, and you know we always used to say that that barcode that's on a product, no one knows how it got there, or no one knows what it means, or what to do with it, right? And that that magic was what vars in our channel tended to do. You know they could go in and, and spec out a system and build around it, and everything was proprietary, and you know it was a very closed kind of um, uh, network situation where. You know, they could go in and define their value and, and command very large margins. And then people figured out that the barriers to entry into this channel were low. You know, and so people started to pop up, and you know, all over the place. The map became dotted with companies that all did the same thing. And then big companies got in to the market. You know, large companies who came to market uh, via the internet. I mean, certainly the internet changed things quite a bit. When I could search for a product online. You know, so customers would would spend all this time researching and then, you know, they'd search for the product online and up would pop someone who would sell it to them at much less money than the bar who had spec out all the work and done all the work had done. So that's where price exceptions and deal registration kind of came into play. Right. It's like, wait a minute, I've done all the work here. I deserve to be protected in this situation. And, you know, there's there's some truth to that. So, you know, uh, market forces being what they are you know, everybody was looking for the best uh, value proposition and the and the least expensive price in a lot of cases. And so that pressure began to squeeze margins. And, you know, VARs had to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to change our model to protect our margins? Well, we have to add value too, right? We have to look for software and services and this and that and the other to add to the mix, so that you know these, these end users still want to do business with us instead of just shopping for the lowest price with the biggest company. So a lot of maturity happened there as people redefine their business models.
1: Yeah, the margin that we were getting in the mystery of what we were the solutions we were providing gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> There's no,
1: there's no <laughs> mystery there anymore. So your, your points, which is weird. not a bad yeah. thing, you know? No, right. And it you just means think, you got to well, change your business model. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's where a lot of folks are today is trying to figure out, well, how do we get some of that margin back? And and you're right, Tracy, you know, some of the early exploration, if you will, was in the software side, which is still viable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how do we do that? And, and I think we'll get into it here a little bit later, but yeah, I mean, how do you as a business, you have to survive, you have to have good margins right. on it, uh, so there has been a lot of look into that, and it's it's been really kind of fascinating to see the whole channel kind of evolve. Whereas you could you used to be able to be a one trick pony and walk in have high margins on a whatever electronic cash drawer or something like that, whatever you want to call it. And then, but today that's not the case. You can't be the one trick pony. You got to be something different. So yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. Well, then let's talk about that software side of things because I feel like that is
1: yeah, right. I guess
0: sort of the newest entry into the the game. Sort mm-hmm. of. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like it's a brand new thing. But I do feel like, and just even in my time here and, and working with a lot of software partners and helping do you know, marketing campaigns for them, it's, it's clear that a software aspect of a solution is becoming a huge, strong selling point that can mm-hmm. maybe get you a little above and beyond your That's competition. It. That's right. So help us talk a little bit about this and this perception, because I think there is still a perception maybe amongst some VARs that that software companies, these ISVs, TSEs, whatever you want to call them, are – are still the wild cards and mm-hmm. you know, not my problem. I don't know if I want to get in, into this. Uh, I'm afraid they might take business away from me somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll let my customer deal with that part of things. Uh, how does Citizen look at that, the role of software companies and how is it continuing to change?
2: You know, it's interesting. There's, um, there's an old school group of people that, you know, I've known for 30 years who say, look, we just do this and we stay within our core competency and we crush it. You know, we do it really well. And we like to sell hardware and we like to sell media and all those things that they do very, you know, very inside the box, uh, auto ID, if you will, uh, kind of thinking. Then there's a new generation of people who are pure software and and, uh, solutions oriented who wouldn't know a printer if they tripped over it. You know what I mean? So uh, it it, it seems to be two vast ends of the spectrum. I think the companies that are growing and capturing share, the companies that get the, uh, the blending of the two, right? Um, as a manufacturer, you know, my team and I, I'm surrounded by a bunch of uh, veterans, uh, industry veterans and outside the industry, business savvy people. And my team and I have this thing that we say to each other, and that is whoever controls the software controls the deal, right? So, it, you know, while we make a stone, I mean, our printer is a thing that goes in a bigger picture. And so for us, you know, we have to know uh, what buying influences are uh, happening to, to sell the deal. You know what I mean? So we have to understand the software play. We have to understand all of the adjacent technology to us to figure out what the ecosystem looks like and what our role within it is. Because if the company selling the software loses, we lose. And so we have to help them add value. And you know we have to participate in the sales campaign as if we were running the whole deal. So as a manufacturer, that's how we tend to think. I think as a VAR, you know, certainly the more the VAR understands, uh, the more the VAR can put the pieces together and be the band leader, so to speak. You know what I mean? Uh, Some some software companies like to sell direct, and that's okay, in which case you partner with them and you go along for the ride. Uh, But some companies like to license their software. In that case, the VAR needs to know what all the buying influences are and what business problem they're trying to solve as a manufacturer, we have to be smart enough to know the difference. So we have the right partners because whoever controls the software controls the deal.
1: I would agree with you. You know, I was reading up on an article that, and they kind of put it this way, which I thought was really good. Many channel partners are creating all sorts of, and this is the key phrase, intellectual property and becoming kind of more, looking more like vendors. And, and, And I think that this is really accurate in the sense that if you're a solution integrator, again, you're not a one trick pony anymore. You're looking for intellectual property that you can build through a network of partners, many of them being software uh, partners, uh, that you can build a tech stack that mm-hmm. we talk about and solutions that you're taking to the marketplace. But you're building your own intellectual property, meaning uh, these are things that you can now take to market, that uh, you can replicate, you can scale, uh, those types of things. That's what this new breed of channel partner, I think, is is trying to look for. Whereas, yeah, not so much on the equipment and what it is. That yeah, we can find equipment to facilitate it, but what's the intellectual property that uh, a that we're building here what are the relationships that i'm going to build that around uh to create these solutions that we can take to market and yeah. i i think that's really fascinating aspect of how the channel is really kind of changing
2: yeah i'd agree well that's where the value the value is right i mean it's that it's that value proposition that that allows you to command the margin retain the margin and companies that figure out how to retain their margins through their value proposition are the ones that are doing well. Uh, Yeah, totally agree. Definitely. You know what? I appreciate also that citizen
0: understands the idea that like, Hey, you know, we, we have a thing, but we're not the only ones that have this thing and if we're not playing along you know in the channel if we're not playing along with these software companies if we're not recognizing what they bring to the table in addition to us and and asking the question it's it just goes back to some of these like sales fundamentals we talk about or the mm-hmm. the the stuff that we we talked with with cordy about you mm-hmm. know over several episodes about understanding your customers and figuring out you know what are their pain points what makes them tick where are they in the buying journey right now and i guarantee that if you're having those conversations and you're getting that in depth Discussion. A lot of that conversation is really revolving around the software part of things. More Absolutely. Anything. It's about what they need to make what they want to happen happen yes yes they understand that there's a printer or a barcode scanner or a mobile computer that's part of that sure yep but that's just the same way as knowing like well hey i need a you know i need a computer to do my work that's fine mm-hmm. but here's what i need on the computer mm-hmm. to actually do my work yeah and that's the stuff i'm more concerned about than anything the computer it's, not as irrelevant but at least as part is 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 part of that same conversation
2: cios are not you know they're not out there uh Googling SKUs to see what printer to buy. They're they're solving business problems, right? And so we want to be part of that solution conversation with the CIO. We don't want to say, here's our widget, you know, please buy our widget. That's not how we think. As a manufacturer, if we're thinking that way, then we're losing ground.
1: Yeah. Business outcomes is the phrase that I would bring into the dialogue, right? Because solution providers need to focus on what the business outcome is for their customers. And whatever that is, the intellectual property built to facilitate the business outcome, these are the people that are going to win in the new channel, if you will. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
0: So then, let's let's talk about distribution. You know, again, you know, we don't like to talk about ourselves that much, but sometimes, but at the same time, Cause we, we live do, it every day. Well, yeah, and we do have, <laughs> but we do have a, a pivotal role in this channel. And, yeah. and again, it was one that I didn't quite get when I started here. Yep. And I love Terry, you know, Tracy's perspective on it here that. um you know, initially it was something as simple as a warehouse and a bank, right? And even that, that like the bank side of things is the one thing that I didn't quite get for yes. a while either. Like Hell I didn't yeah. realize like that role we played. Mm-hmm. And then when you figured out, you're like, well, that makes sense. Someone needs to help some of these small businesses be able to fulfill a million dollar deal. when well, they don't have the money to fulfill a million dollar deal. Yep. So, you know, how has that changed? You know, we're, you know, we we have this unique role. And, you know, we, we try to build these strong relationships with you, the vendors, with our VAR partners. We're, I think we're building stronger and stronger relationships with software than ever before over the last several years. But why do you think having Disti's involved makes such a big difference and works so well in this channel?
2: Well, you know, from my perspective, I mean, certainly Bluestar is an outstanding partner. And I think one of the things that Bluestar does really well is they have a, a whole channel view kind of mindset. You know what I mean? It's not like you're thinking, okay... Well, I sell this set of widgets at this price to this set of customers. And, you know, I want to lower the barriers to entry so that a small business can finance a big deal. That's all very um, in the box thinking. Those things are, are what need to happen. But what Bluestar does is they take a whole channel view and say, okay, if I connect this dot with this dot, then there's a chance for me to do what I do and to make money. There's a value proposition there. Right. And I think that whole channel view is how distribution in general has changed. You know, even as a manufacturer, I think I see the whole America's channel, but I don't. I don't see the whole America's channel. I don't see the mobile computing side as much as I need to, you know, I don't know the deals that are happening necessarily on a deal-by-deal basis in the mobile computing side, whereas you do. And so if there's an opportunity for me to partner with someone who does mobile computing, to partner with a VAR who's chasing a multi-million dollar opportunity, why that? you know connecting those dots is very valuable not only to the end user and to the var but also to the manufacturer
1: Absolutely, and I think that's the healthy role of a distributor, even moving forward, right? It's 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 beyond pick-pack-ship, you know, that's that's not. And it's really interesting, the perspective you brought early on, Tracy, that, you know, the small to medium-sized businesses weren't being, you know, uh, serviced by a distributor at all. You know, a lot of vendors were going direct and created a lot of issues, you know, around financing, around those types of things. And, and to be honest with you, manufacturers don't want to get into distribution, and, and that's fine. So distributors like, you know, and what we do is we saw the value-add proposition being much broader than just a pick-pack uh, ship. So, yeah. And I and I think that that's even important as the channel continues to evolve, right? We're all evolving. Distribution is not immune to that. We're going to continue to evolve as well. But the good news here is embracing the ecosystem so that the, the partners can enjoy that combined intellectual property that we're all building to grab uh, to gravitate towards new solutions that we can bring to market. Yeah. And that's the key. Yeah, moving I forward. agree. And I
0: think I think there's a there's a great story there too about the idea of having a business that you you become you're really good at something like if it's distribution mm-hmm. for instance like hey we know we're great at distribution we understand how it works everybody wants to send all their stuff to us because we have the best methodology for you know for storing pick pack ship getting everything where it's supposed to go the right time right place but then also understanding like that doesn't mean it has to be all we are.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. There's
0: more that we can be. And I think that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a story that can resonate up and down the channel yep. For you know, from the vendors all the way down to the resellers and yep. even to their customers too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, always a great story to tell with any business. that, like, hey, we found out how we could do something really, really good mm-hmm. and then we figured out what else we could do. Mm-hmm. And right. we just kept building on top of that until we became something different. Yeah. And I think it's kind of, I feel like it's, it's almost like how this channel's come to be mm-hmm. and why someone like us has fit into it because mm-hmm. we realized like, hey, sure, Sure, we could do this, but we can also do a lot more for you too. That's right. And we're going to do that more part.
1: Yeah, so. and sometimes it's in the services, right? That that, yeah. that are that are brought yep. to bear. You know, I, like That's when so we,
2: right what's that, Tracy? Yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that it's the services, right? You feel like the extension of the manufacturer and the way you service the bar. The VAR views your services and as an extension of themselves, enabling to do things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do, right? That's yeah. it. That's and exactly I think,
0: right. And I think the biggest and most important part of that whole thing then, too, is then the end user, the people that are getting these solutions and implementing them. As far as they're concerned, it's a seamless experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They don't need to know how many different pieces and parts and people were involved at all the different steps of the channel. All they care about is, did I get the solution I needed for the business cause and for the business, you know, what was it you said earlier? Business the outcome. The business outcome that I wanted. Right, yeah. And if that is satisfied, the rest of it is, is just, you know, whatever. That's what, fine, yeah, right. you know. I don't care how many different vendors – Distributors, software companies, people services—I don't care—all that different little pieces. Mm-hmm. They love the fact, and I think that's where you become like a hero to them. When oh, you absolutely! Come to them and say like, "Hey, I'm delivering everything you need right here, yeah. and all you have to deal with is me."
1: That's it. And 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 I'll go back to one of one of the examples I've been bringing. We've been thinking about you know when you think about visual AI and and how that is moving. You know how that manifests itself. If you're a POS reseller today, uh, and you have your tech stack, and that's all well and good, and you have a customer. That comes to you and says, you know what, we're having a really hard time on quality control, Mm -hmm. getting orders out, you know, in a in a manner that is efficient and the exact same every single time. So you need to be tapped into a universe where, yeah, AI and vision and visual uh, cameras are starting to be utilized to. Do just that, you know, mm-hmm. to to look at an order before it goes out the door and verifies, oh, yeah, everything's in here. Uh, it's it's what it needs to right. be. These are the types of ways that it's going to start manifesting itself. It will. It is. And, and the wonderful part there is if you can hook up with the right people out there, now you can develop a little bit of intellectual property that you can now take it right Oh, yeah. Hey, by the way, not only I built the solution over here, but I can take it to these other customers and scale it right, over there. Right. Man, cool stuff. Yeah, anyway. it definitely
0: is. So, Tracy, let's talk about this whole Amazon effect. And we just actually had a good conversation with Drew Arnold from Newcastle a couple yeah. weeks back about yep. how, you know, in this explosion of uh, e-commerce over the last couple of years, that, you know, B2B was actually even out, outrunning B2C. Mm-hmm. But that also, it kind of came with some dangerous side effects. When we've all been sitting at home and gotten used to our quick, <laughs> fast delivery, low-cost – That we, our expectation is like, okay, well then when I go to work and I need the same things, I need it all quick, fast, low cost at my door, ready to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, So even though it, you know, B2B is a very different beast than B2C, those expectations are still out there. How is that affecting you from the vendor level? How do you think that's affecting distys vars et cetera? Like what is, what is that doing to our channel right now?
2: Oh gosh. I mean. Uh, you know, we could spend the next three hours talking about the Amazon. Uh, I I said I should write a a doctoral thesis on the Amazon channel because I could literally sit down and write the thing like this afternoon, you know, Amazon is really many different channels and, you know, it's, it has one flavor to the consumer and one flavor to uh, this set of customers and one flavor to this set of suppliers. It's really a number of different channels, um, you know, and while the uh, the business to uh, business sale is much different, they already have their foot in that water. They already have a business portal that is, you know, a B two B type sale. But the difference is, I think that um, you know, when a business goes to Amazon to buy a product, they have done a lot of research themselves. But there still might be this thing or that thing that they don't quite know, and trying to get that answer through that portal, I think, gets frustrating for. For end users, you know, it gets frustrating for people who don't understand the channel top to bottom and live in it like we do. You know, um, and so I think there is still some some nuance there, some some added value that uh, that certainly our channel can provide. But you know, what I saw happen a few years ago is I, I predicted that um, just because you know, not because I'm smarter than anyone else, but just I I read the the things that I saw. And I said, you know, these guys, Amazon are going to go to directly to manufacturers and negotiate single digit margin deals and put the product in their own supply chain and bring it here. And sure enough, if we've not seen some of that happen, right? So I what I would say they're probably looking at next is how to um, sort of grow their business to business thing and capture that share. And what I see them doing there is trying to add value there that they don't currently know how to add. You know what I mean? It's like they, pretty soon you're going to see uh, uh, resource, human resources dedicated to that. And they're going to become, you know, they're going to be out there calling on large businesses and saying, you know, buy through our channel and we'll help you add value. And we'll supply uh, resources and, and all these things to help you do that. I think they're still figuring that out, but I think they are going to figure it out.
1: Yeah, it, it seems intuitive, right? I and mean, they're such a beast. Yes, <laughs> it yeah. is. It is Amazon. It's the five hundred pound gorilla. It, it is. Well, yeah,
2: and getting bigger every day.
1: I, I'll go eight hundred pounds <laughs> on that one. Uh, but you know, I don't know. I have some hope here because I, I think it's going to take them kind of where Tracy was going there a little bit. I think it's going to take uh, a beast like Amazon a little while to figure out all the nuance. You know, that's a word I use, and and as I've grown to appreciate the channel and 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 the business that we're in, there is a lot of nuance, mm-hmm. and, and and it's hard to automate a lot of that, right? At the end of the road, can they can they throw up a printer online and and have it at a as skinny a margin as possible? Yeah. But A lot of manufacturers are pushing back on that because they realize that, you know, that's going to have a a negative impact on the channel that that they build a business on, that that there's some value behind. I mean, we've just talked about it. A solutions integrator or whatever, a VAR, solutions integrator, whatever you want to call them today, a a channel partner has to be able to to develop these solutions. You can't necessarily automate that. So I I think that it's – yeah, maybe they'll figure it out. But I think it's going to take them a while to figure out a channel like ours or the IP IT channel uh, that is a little bit more in that value proposition of, of having to figure things out, right? It's not just as easy as, oh, here's the book I want. What's the price? Is it, right? it's 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 cheaper a little bit used?
2: Uh, okay, here's the printer
1: I need, but how does this fit into the whole thing that I'm building?
2: Right. I mean, as, as an end user, you know, I'm I'm looking at it going, okay. I still know that I need this piece and this piece, but there's there's some connectivity. There's some uh, business problem that I'm trying to solve that. They can't necessarily help me figure out. Right. And so from, you know, as a manufacturer, I look at it's like giving the keys to my my brand new 16 year old driver, hoping they don't have a wreck. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, um, okay, I'm going to let you sell the product, but, you know, I don't want you going 100 miles an hour around curves and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's so they're they're trying to figure that out from a from a manufacturer standpoint. Um, I like the stability of partnering with people who know what they're doing because it has a tendency to protect everyone's value proposition. I, I think if you don't understand the use case and the business problem you're trying to solve, it immediately goes to price and all of a sudden price, price, price. Now the margins are gone, but there's still a business problem that needs to be solved. That's the danger, you know. Yep, yeah. you're you're dead on there. That's yep. right.
1: I
0: agree. All right, well let's okay, let's get to the part here where we start prognosticating. Ah and, yes, thinking okay. out the future. <laughs> Uh, and again, we're going to, we're going to let Tracy do most of this so that we aren't held liable for it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Exactly. Again, when someone finds this podcast in a few years, you know, dust off the archives, you know, we want them to, to, hopefully they'll say like, man, these guys were on it and not, ah, these idiots, (laughs) what were they thinking? So Tracy, let's, let's do a little, a little future forecasting here. What do you think this channel is going to look like? And we're, we're not. We're not going way off in the future, just over the next three to five years or so. I mean, I don't know if we're going to be out of this pandemic endemic, right? sort of, you know, like a supply chain cluster, you know, like there's a lot of stuff happening right now that I could still see hanging around in a few years. So what do you think happens next?
2: Gosh, um, in our channel as a whole, I think, uh, you know, it's going to continue to mature, but in different ways. I think people are going to get much more savvy. About, you know, manufacturers are going to have to figure out that, look, we can't just we can't just cookie cutter widgets and hope for the best. Right. We have to change the way we sell and, and our value proposition that separates me from the other people who make printers. You know, um, I tell my team that, look, you know, no VAR has 100 um, percent market share. So go to your VARs, figure out what their um, their deal filter looks like what defines their piece of business, and then go prospect as if you're them. You know, use use our name uh, to get meetings and find deals. But once you find them, bring them back uh, to your VARs, to your partners, and say, okay, let's put together a team, uh, an A team, a dream team to go capture this piece of business. And I think we as manufacturers have to figure that out. Um, I think that you know the distributors have to figure out how to just take, you know, prevent taking $1 from this pocket and just putting it in this hand and putting it in the other pocket, the, the share shift that takes place, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and distributors will, uh, are, have done a good job of figuring that out. Well, if I do business development at the distribution level, then I can enlarge the pie so that we can bring uh, suppliers and buyers together to grow the overall business. And, you know, what does that look like three to five years from now? Well, I think the army of people that are doing business development, even at the distribution level, and cultivating new VARs and new solutions, I think that is going to continue to mature. And then I think the VAR is going to have to figure out how to change the way they sell. You know, as we said, whoever controls the software controls the deal. So, you know, they they have to think as a service. They have to think leasing. They have to, you know, I sit on these, these calls with uh, tier one end users, and I hear the analysts pepper them with, "How are you going to reduce capital expenditure?" And they say, "We're going to we're going to lease things, and we're going to do as a service." And so I tell the VARS, "Hey guys, this big tier one end user just said they want to lease product and <laughs> you know and do as a service. So customize a message to go to them, you know, and change the way they sell because a lot of ours are not thinking that way. Some are, some aren't, you know. But I think that maturity at all levels, um, engagement with the uh the end user and understanding the use case from the manufacturer of the widget to the var who gets the purchase order i think all that is going to continue to evolve yeah, it's oh, interesting
1: did. to see with some of the other things. I I agree with everything that Tracy said there. Uh, there are, you know, I'll throw on the table, you know, platforms. There are a lot of platforms like uh, Salesforce and stuff like that, that people are starting to build applications off of, and that's going to start leaking into our world. And mm-hmm. and so the net net at the end of the road is, you know, you have to be, I, I think that resellers are going to turn into more business advisors right They're, you're You're going in, you own the relationship. You're focusing in on what the business outcome is, is the need of your customer, mm-hmm. and then you're going back into your ecosystem to figure out how to solve that. Uh, and a lot of it might be platform based, you know, where they're going to try to lead people on to, uh, you know, utilizing different aspects of a platform to facilitate these different business outcomes. But it's going to be it's going to be wild in the sense that it's not just it's not just point of sale; it's yeah. all the stuff that goes into the business and operating a business. Sufficiently, you know, through the utilization of su- such things as AI or machine learning or, or those types of things. I mean, these are the things where people are just going to have to get involved in. Um, so, you know, the software development community is just is, is going to be as rapidly growing as ever, and trying to keep a pulse on that is going to be really important as well. So, I don't know, three to five years out, you're going to see this blurring, I think, uh, maybe, of uh, between ISVs and, and VARs and you know, their desire to have that intellectual property in-house mm-hmm. and be able to white, you know, what do they call it, white glove it or white box it or where they can go out and sell it. Right, right. Uh, is the word I'm looking for there. Uh, but the ecosystem, I think, is going to remain healthy and be more and more important to leverage as folks go out there and, and implement these solutions. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. You know, I think if I'm even going to distill down what you guys have both been saying even a little bit more simplistic, customization. hmm niche business cases and business solutions. Yep. Like, I think it's all about this idea of when someone says to you, I want to do X, Y, Z, instead of saying, well, I can do X and Y kind of Z, but I've got this and this would be good enough. Mm-hmm. You're saying, okay, I'm going to get together with all my folks and make XYZ happen.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think
0: that's what it comes down to. Yep. Cuz I think if you the the companies that are willing to say that and back it up and do it are mm-hmm. the ones that are going to survive, mm-hmm. thrive, the ones that that people are going to keep coming back to saying like man, I loved working with them. Because I told them exactly what I needed to happen, and they made it happen.
1: And I think you can, you know, grow off of that. If you if you take on the mentality of being a business advisor, which I really think channel partners are going to have to do, it's also once you get the initial install, it's going back to those folks and saying, Hey, by the way, I've been working on these other bits of the I solution agree. that yep. I think can augment your business and improve your business, and here's how, and those types of things. Yeah. This is what you're going to need to have. You can to do. set.
0: You can set the direction. Of there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Moving mm-hmm. forward too, when you can do that, when you. You can say like, hey, sure, I can accomplish all of this for you. But you know what? I also think that this could be very important for yep. your business That's or it. going to another industry and saying, hey, look, we've been doing great work over here with this. I feel like there's – and you mentioned that earlier. Like mm-hmm. if there's, a, there's an application for your particular business out of this as well. Mm-hmm. Here's why. Here's all the research and all the work we've done. And I think people that come equipped with that. And are willing to put in the work, yeah, and the effort
2: right. Mm-hmm. Are the ones that are going to really stand out over agreed. the next few years. Yeah, agreed. And if I might just interject really quickly, I think the companies that are nimble, that can change, you know, they listen. There's something to be said for sticking to your core competency. There's no question about that. And you have to crush that. You have to know how to do that. But you also need to understand adjacent technology so that when things change, you can reshape who you are and what you do to meet to, to go where the where the uh, where the demand is and where the, the business as the business kid, we all found that out during the uh, pandemic, right? <laughs> That's yeah. it. Yeah. Suddenly, um, You know uh, a company that makes point of sale printers had to find uh, something else to do uh, for about a quarter and a half, whole, <laughs> you know, while everybody shut down. So what we said is, okay, what else do we have and how can we help our reseller uh, partners uh, continue to make money in this apocalyptic world of you know nobody's buying point of sale printers <laughs> you know so I think using speed as a weapon you know what I mean being able to change and redefine who you are yeah but
0: and that's just it though Tracy you you hit the nail on the head there this idea of the companies i think that are, that you know were going to do well versus the ones that weren't are the ones that didn't get in that same situation and go oh no everything's on fire it's mm-hmm. all going to end yeah. how are we going to deal with this let's lay a bunch of people off we're going to we, we may not survive this and the ones that said okay well i guess we can't do this right now and that sucks because it is obviously our business Let's figure out what else we can do to help. Mm-hmm. And I think right. that's – and let's be honest. Well, again, I, we hope there's never going to be another worldwide pandemic to <laughs> shake things up the same way. You right. never know what's going to happen that's going to completely change the business. Yeah, could happen as soon as the next year. It could be 20 years in the future. And if your, if your attitude is that same attitude of – Maybe I get disrupted today, but if I do get disrupted, I got to figure out what else I can do to help. Mm-hmm. That's a, a awesome attitude to have to take on whatever challenges might come. Yep, agreed. So yeah, all right. Well, hey, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, I, I think we made I think we made sensible predictions. Sensible, there. yes, Yes. Anyway, I don't think this will come back. Nothing to too honest. radical, yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. We didn't say, like, you know, I don't know, like, you know, no one will ever need a printer again in the future. It'll all magically, it will magically appear out of the cloud. You know, I don't know. Like you know, we didn't, we didn't do stuff like that.
2: There's still a segment that always wants a receipt. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah.
0: Exactly. So uh, hey, let's take a moment. I want to thank, as always, our TechConnect sponsors: uh, DataLogic, Elo, Epson, Intel, Honeywell, and Zebra. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And thank you to Citizen mm-hmm. for supporting this episode and lending Tracy to us. We appreciate him today. Well, as always, uh, if you like the show, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, We definitely would appreciate that. There's all kinds of great content we're always putting out there and you won't miss a new episode. Uh, If you listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave us a five-star rating and review anywhere you listen. And and, hey, more importantly, if you like the show, share it with somebody else. That's Uh, right. Send an episode that you liked over to someone, maybe one of your customers even. If it's not, you know, if it's one of the ones that's not super channel specific, but Uh has just some interesting ideas, send it to a customer and say, hey, um, you you may not enjoy all of this, but I thought this conversation, the 15-minute mark, is really relevant. Maybe we can talk about it sometime.
1: Yeah, 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 I don't yeah. know.
0: little business tip for you there. Uh, as always, if you want to connect with us and tell us your thoughts about the show or give us some suggestions for future topics, you can find us on Twitter at TechConnectPod. You can also email us techconnect at bluestarinc.com. All right, let's wrap things up with our recurring segments. First of all, our value to the var. This mm-hmm. is where we kind of want to give you all a little takeaway from this episode. Maybe something you can do today to act upon the the conversation we've had. So Tracy, what do you think are one or two things that VARs should be doing now to ensure that they're going to still be around, still be relevant for this channel future that we've described, even as short term as we went?
2: Yeah, I think uh, the thing I would advise uh, resellers to do is to understand the whole picture, right? The whole business problem and your place in it. uh, And, you know, change how you think. I mean, rather than just competing with 10 other resellers sa- selling the same piece of hardware, understand the adjacent technologies, uh, the things around you that are driving uh, the business decision, you know, the buying decision and the different influences who are are there. And I think the better you understand the use case and the people involved in the buying decision and the people, you know, the business problems that are driving compelling people to do things. I think the better you understand that, the more likely you are to win.
1: I agree that that's good stuff right there. I, were you going to say something else there, Tracy?
2: And I was just going to say, you know, build some relationships with some of these adjacent uh, solution providers. And, and so, you know, when they find a deal, Hey, they're, they're walking by a, a piece of the deal that belongs to you, you know? And the, I think the, the more of those conversations, the more you network, the more relationships you build, the better you'll be able to uh, to locate something when it pops up. It may you may be somebody who's really good at printing and media, but you may have a partner who knows mobile computing, and they're you know they're in there finding a mobile computing deal. Well, those you know a lot of times have a printing component or a software component to them. And I think the more of those relationships you have, the more you can quickly put together a team to solve that business problem.
1: Brilliant. That's exactly it. I love your phrase, adjacent technologies. I'm going to start using that one because it, that's that's a good mindset to be in, yeah. right? I know my technologies. What's adjacent to me as I look right. around? Those are the shorter putts that, that you can really develop that. And if you have take on the mindset of developing business outcomes and utilizing that as a kind of a new frame of mind, then yeah, you start looking around at all these adjacent technologies yeah. and what can I do? And then finally, look for that intellectual property. These are the types of things that you need to start building moving forward that you can leverage, right? Like you're creating this niche solution that mm-hmm. you can scale or take to market. Even if it's just in your region, that's okay. You know, that's a good thing uh, to do because you'll grow your business that way and become a true business advisor. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I like this adjacent technology idea too because mm-hmm. it's one of those things that I feel like today's adjacent technology could be tomorrow's integrated technology. Mm-hmm. Like Very interesting. That because, was bold. I, 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 that it I, was. I guess so, <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs>
1: That's poetry, <laughs> so I mean, Well, that's because great. it could
0: be, you know, the stuff that you think like, okay, these two things have nothing really to do with each other. They're just mm-hmm. two things that people might need in the same space. Yep. You never know when, when at some point those two things might be talking to each other that's you it. Know, through IOT or whatever, that's it. or might be highly connected and attuned to one another. Think about all the technology over the years that we've always treated as something just you know disparate. Just think of our phone, for instance. You yeah, know, mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. many technologies are in there that used to be forty different technologies that That's you right. could have around your yeah. home or an office yeah. that are now all built into one place? That could easily happen with your adjacent technology you yeah. know out there too. Yeah, so. good stuff. Yep like that oh, yeah. all right well uh let's get to our favorite segment what's tech connecting with us this is where we get to talk about something in the world of science tech innovation uh that has caught our eye has our attention could be something that's exciting us could be something that makes us uh, certain that the world is coming to an end uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll try to stay away from those mine today is not i promise
2: oh okay uh Fair tracy enough. i'll
0: let you start what's tech connecting with you
2: Sure, you know, um, I like to just look around, speaking of adjacent technologies and convergent devices and technologies like you were talking about, one of the things that uh, has caught my eye recently is is, uh, Fast ID Online, right? So FIDO technology, where I I don't know about you, but I am the worst at uh, coming up with strong passwords that I can remember and storing them all now in a database that's 50 million records is getting more difficult all the time. So, you know, I've been reading about, you know, um, data keys, security keys that uh, allow me to uh, you know, not have to remember passwords and reduce things like hacking and phishing and all those things. And I think as the standards for, for Fast ID Online come around, you know, I, I, the a world without passwords really is fascinating to me. <laughs> I uh, love that idea that. too. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, cause then you get your spouse involved and then now I'm getting to the point where my kids are like tapping into some of my accounts, <laughs> right, like right, my yeah. Netflix account. Right. And so, so it's like you have this, just, just, I got passwords all over the place. I have yeah. no idea. I've got an Excel sheet that's got a, the passwords right.
0: yep, on it. Yep. And, and, and I, I came to become one of these people that understood they're like, okay, I can't use the same password for everything. Mm. But as I'm growing that list, I keep looking at it like, this is absurd. Like there are, I literally have about 80, 90 different passwords for things now. And it's just,
2: <laughs> you can't keep it's up with that. It's The bri- The browser says, do you want us to create a strong password? Sure. You know, and it's 500 characters with, you know, 30 different, there's no way I can remember it if I forget it. So then what do I do, right? So, you know, this, this phyto technology was was fascinating to me because now I've got a, a, a security key that's like a set of car keys, right? I plug it in and uh, suddenly I can browse everywhere because it's it's confidently identified me so that when I check in and check over here and do this thing and pay this bill and do whatever it is, you know, I've, I've got one secure thing. But then I thought, well, what happens if I lose that right now? I'm back in the same boat. So you were talking about convergent devices. Well, now they're talking about being able to do that with your phone and using biometrics to positively identify you. And your phone becomes the key. Right. I'm pretty sure that I'm always going to have my phone. So, you know, the the security evolves um, in tech, you know, the, the linkage between. Uh, my, myself, my phone and the internet, you know, I think once we shore up all of those things, the idea of not having one password or the idea of having one secure access to the world is a, is a cool proposition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Pretty good stuff. Yeah.
2: Dean, what about you? What's technically with you? All right. Well, here's my headline. Google
1: search is dying. Okay. uh, So I told Google that. (laughs) (laughs) It was a really fascinating little read that I had here. And, you know, of course, they had the charts about how certain social media have hit their peak, like Facebook. If you look at Facebook and how many people have logged on, it's like tanking and and stuff like that. As it should be. be. There you go. Here's the subhead. (laughs) Reddit is currently the most popular search engine. The only people who don't know that are the team at Reddit (laughs) who can't be bothered by building a decent search interface. So instead, we resort to using Google and appending the word like Reddit. At the end of the query, so uh, th- they made the whole <laughs> argument here, and I, I and I agree with them. That Google, like, have you noticed it's a little different with w- whenever you Google. Here's one of the big things that I have noticed: is you put in whatever query you're going to do. And a lot of times there are so many ads Oh, yeah. that you, that gotta, ads, scroll you gotta scroll. Yeah. You gotta scroll way to the bottom to get the organic stuff. Yeah. And and they were just hammering on the fact that very good point. that people are just getting fed up with that. It's like, okay, now I realize that all you're really doing is serving ads. That's that's it. So you're, you're saying it, it's time and to I'm to bring a marketing back guy. Ask Jeeves. Maybe <laughs> 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 Maybe, but Reddit, so here it is. You know, what what the article is saying is that, that people trust less the results they're getting in Google because they feel like they're right, being right. directed by the big corporate dollars right. that are funneling the dollars into there as compared to seeing a discussion about the topic on Reddit. And yeah, right. it's not like Reddit can't have its own level of BS and stuff like that, but it's more authentic, right, right, is, is, right. is the feeling is that, you know, at least you're going to have some authenticity around if you're searching for something, you know. Like, especially like a how to or something along those lines, Reddit is becoming much, much more utilized than Google. So, they were saying Google search is dying. I mm. don't know. Bring mm. back Ass Jeeves. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> A little dubious on that one. We'll see. Yeah. yeah well, yeah, anyway. But, was-
0: you know, but no, there's a very good point there. You're right. That like, it, it I, I hate that. Like when you go Google something and like, it just, it, yeah. you're right. It's just, it's just stack on stack of ads. I'm used like, you're used to at least seeing a couple of the top. Right. But when I start scrolling and I'm always paying, like I will, even if, here's the thing, even if my search result is one of the ads, what I want to get to, I will scroll past the ad version. Everybody does. Just to get to the regular yes. version. So if it's a company I'm looking for yeah. and the first one is their ad version, I'm like, no, I'm no. going go to your go. Real, and I'm not giving you a dime for (laughs) clicking on your ad version that is cluttering the top (laughs) half of my feed here.
1: That's it. That's it. Anyway, what's that connecting with you?
0: Okay, so uh, does anybody remember the iBeer app? What? Okay, this is back in 2008, a long time ago, early iPhone days. (laughs) There was was a a guy who started off by uploading a video of him drinking a beer on his phone. Okay. So it was like he was, you know, he was on like the picture on his phone was like a beer. Right. That looked like it was bubbling.
1: Oh, okay. You had
0: foam at the top. And when you tipped it up against your Ah. mouth, it was, it looked like you were drinking and it would actually go down and decline until it was gone. Okay. Yep. This is the kind of stuff we did in 2000. That's it. Kids of the world. Very limited. This was how exciting iPhones (laughs) were back then. (laughs) <laughs> so, well, first he uploaded this as a clip to YouTube, got tons of hits, lots of views. So he's like, well, maybe I can make some money off this. So he uploaded a, you know, uh, a file of it to iTunes initially for $2.99. Okay. And he said he was making about $2,000 a day off of that. Thing. Come on. This is an interesting story about this whole, like, you know, this how this thing came and went. All right. And he's, so he's making a decent chunk of change yeah. off of it. Well, then. Apple approached him about adding it to the App Store, which they had just recently launched. Okay. One of its earliest apps. So they did. <laughs> it came out on the on, the, on, the, I, on the, the App Store, and it was one of the most popular apps for a while. Get there. Out. because again, beer. we didn't have a lot of cool apps back no, then. No, there weren't. Like, I, yeah, I, right. I, don't, I don't think I even got an iPhone until like 2010. And even then, there wasn't a lot of exciting no. stuff. Right. So this app, though, at its peak, was drawing in ten to twenty thousand dollars a day. Come on, from people buying it for their phones, just, just so they could just like, so mimic. they could pretend they were drinking a beer on their phone. <laughs> there was nothing else to it. It did nothing else for you. That was it. And this guy was making bank off of it. Uh, now it did also, like you know, dry up and go away fairly quickly. Yes, he said. Like it was, it was a little article I was reading with this guy. the The app is still out there, apparently, on the app store. Okay, you know, all right. Who cares about that these days? Right. So I think Marco literally just looked it up while we were talking about it. <laughs> it's still out there. Doesn't really make money off of it anymore. Uh, but it also mentioned in the article, like you know, now lives at a on a ranch with his family in Spain. I'm like, well, clearly he did, he did okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I just. It, but it was a fascinating story about how You know, something can just go so, I guess, viral if you want to think about it. And like their comparison was like, you know, now we've got the stuff like TikTok, you know, yep. and other different right. apps that people are just like so all totally into and are the thing for a short amount of time and yeah. then, you know,
1: yeah.
0: fade away too. and and But if you're that person that gets to strike at the right time with the right thing that everybody just thinks is super fun and cool... Especially, you know, with a kind of nascent, emerging, you know, mm-hmm. technology as mm-hmm. the iPhone was at that time. Yep, yep. This guy made some bank off of it and clearly set himself up for a nice future. Hopefully, he, I guess if he's living on his ranch in Spain, he must have done well for himself and t- took care of his money too, and didn't didn't go low at all. Sounds so. good.
1: Yeah. If I'm making ten thousand dollars a day, I'm trying to bank some of that. I would imagine. <laughs> exactly. Unbelievable. Isn't that just yeah. amazing? Can you yeah. just
0: can you imagine something so simplistic? We're yeah. not talking high level. No. Software design. <laughs> You know, like a giant tea. Like, the, I'm pretty sure this was literally one dude that did this yeah, and figured yeah, this
1: out
2: and yeah. made bank off of it. Yeah, so. yeah that's a, a flash that in the pan. Yeah, while the sunshine. That's yeah, exactly it, Tracy. Exactly. Yep, so.
0: yep, yep. So there's a lesson for you. You know, if you find that one little thing and enjoy it while you can, enjoy make as much it. money as you can and ride right off in the sunset. <laughs> Tracy Tucker from Citizen, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate having you on the show. My pleasure. And hey, until next time, folks, uh, crack open an eye beer, uh, <laughs> have yourself a good time, pretend like you're having one. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, please stay connected. The Tech Neck Podcast is brought to you by Citizen. Now, Dean, we've established on the pod that I'm a bit of a German, though, right? You got
1: that right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, when they started telling us that we had to use hand sanitizer mm-hmm. and wash our hands after touching things in public, <laughs> I just went, yeah, <laughs> duh, and yeah, right. what else? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, at least Citizen understands people like me and mm-hmm. the necessity for safe, hygienic devices. That's why they've introduced their newest generation of best-in-class, top-exit POS receipt printers, the CTE-301 and CTE-601.
1: So disinfectant-ready? Is that where we're going I, with this? Both
0: feature disinfectant-ready protective housings made from silver ion-infused plastics. I don't know what that means, but it sounds <laughs> awesome. And if it means I don't get germs, great. Uh, they do suppress germ growth transmitted through human touch. So when your germy hands yes. touch it, yes. and my not as germy as well, yes. I'm much safer than I'd be with most printers. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. which is important. It is, it is important, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, especially for high touch areas. we got lots of employees, potentially mm-hmm. customers touching. Now, of course, that's not all these printers can do. Both are high-quality, small footprint with advanced print speeds up to 350 millimeters per second. That's quick. Plenty of connection options like USB, serial, or Ethernet. Uh, The 601 even has a lightning port. Very important for anybody doing those kind of mobile POS Mm -hmm. or using a mobile device. Yep. One-hand media media change and an anti-curl function. I love this. So that when you get to the end of the roll, they don't start curling up into a cylinder. I love that. I hate that. When I was in retail, it was something I always hated. Yes. Or when you got to the end of the printer paper and it started like bleeding red or green or something and and you had to change it in the middle of a transaction you're like sorry folks and clunk
1: clunk you try to hand them this curled up receipt (coughs) ridiculous yeah
0: fill this up with some tobacco roll it up have a a that's a
1: brilliant function that they put in this thing if you ask me
0: both of these printers are also available in black or white housing so to learn more about the cte 301 and e601 check out the link in the show notes or contact your blue star representative Dean, we're pretty fond of uh, environmentally friendly products around here on the Tech Connect podcast, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yeah, I mean, you drive a Tesla. Yes. I recycle a lot of yes. stuff. Yes. It's you know. good for the
1: environment. It it's for the children. That's John. right.
0: Marco has so- solar panels on his house. So. Uh, uh, right? See, we're, we're an eco friendly bunch around Absolutely. here. Absolutely all right well hey uh citizen is pretty eco-friendly yes, as well yeah that's why they have an eco pos printer this is the industry leading cts three hundred and ten two. it's a compact and advanced receipt and barcode printer mm. featuring an energy star power supply power save function, halogen-free housing, and packaging produced from recycled materials. They,
1: they clearly There did. you go, yeah. applaud, a, applaud.
0: A truly environmentally friendly device. Nice. Uh, with an easy maintenance cutter and patented long-life printing technology capable of extending print life to over 200 kilometers. What? That's a lot of receipts. That is uh, the CTS three hundred and ten two offers the ultimate combination of performance and energy efficiency. It's high speed, one hundred and sixty millimeters per second printing. That's quick. Uh, you get your choice of paper widths and extensive range of advanced functions. Uh, top load or top uh, exit ideal for those retail applications
1: mm-hmm. quick another
0: yep. nice quick cool and eco-friendly printer very so, nice so if you're looking to help your customers be eco-friendly if that's something they're concerned about
1: and who isn't at this point it, come
0: on they should be right? If they're not finding new customers that's come on. it <laughs> uh, reach out to your blue star representative or your citizen BDM